Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. Gina Walsdorf uh, was born and raised in Bismarck, North Dakota, um, an insomniac in childhood. She crouched over her pink desk in the wee hours and wrote illustrated storybooks that no one but she could follow. Her father, a high school English teacher, began bringing Gina the novels he was teaching and giving her quizzes on the material to demonstrate to his students that an 11-year-old girl could ace test that they were failing. When she got to high school, she attempted to write a novel and discovered to her embarrassment that she was still the only person who could follow it. She triple majored at Tulane University. Following graduation, she lived in northern Florida, southern France, and Minnesota. Um, She held a variety of jobs that afforded her the time to write, including bookseller and massage therapist. She found after two decades of trying that her novels had begun to make sense. And she earned um, an MFA in creative writing at the University of Virginia, Tonight she'll be reading from and signing her chilling, pulse-racing debut thriller, Security. So please help me in joining uh, Gina Walsdorf tonight. Thank you. Hey, hey, Tattered Cover. Thank you, everybody, for coming tonight. It's so wonderful to see you, and I'm really, really grateful to see so many friendly faces in the audience, lots of people I know, and, um, and Tattered Cover, a big, big thank you to you guys because they have been behind this book for ever uh, since it was in galleys and they've just given it such an injection of fuel it's good to have fuel injection in your book um so security what's it about security is about a beautiful luxury hotel on the beach in california so 20 floors of crazy beautiful opulence uh, a pristine beach with pearly sand and azure water lapping the shore in front we have this maze that's 50 by 50 yards and very hard to find your way into and very hard to find your way out of inside the lobby is vaulted ceilings the rooms are well appointed everything's lovely and untouched and clean because Manderley's not open yet. Manderley Resort is not yet open to the public. Completely empty, no guests. Except for a few people who are staff. So a skeleton crew staff is there tonight, and they're putting the finishing touches on the hotel for its great grand opening party. They're building a a pyramid of champagne flutes in the 19th floor ballroom. And we have Henri in the kitchen, who is trying to perfect his wonderful cherry dessert and he's very choleric very ill-tempered yelling at his sous chefs all the time we have dolores who is the head of housekeeping counting toilet paper doing all the very important things to make sure the guests will be comfortable and most importantly we have tessa tessa is the property manager she's that girl who is on point all the time making sure everything's taken care of no detail overlooked everything remembered she's the taskmaster she's the boss Her job is ten times harder tonight because a long-lost love from her past has returned. And he seems to really need to talk to her for whatever reason. But she can't seem to get a moment because all these crises keep coming up. Crises like 
you know, the dessert's not working, there's a stain in the carpet, things like that. What she doesn't know is that there's something much worse going on, because unbeknownst to everyone, there is a killer in room 717 with a mask, wearing coveralls, and carrying a very big knife. So at the point I'm going to read, what you need to know is that Brian and Tessa have arrived at the second floor laundry room, and they are looking for a couple of people. They're looking for a maid named Vivica, who is working on that stain on the 15th floor. Vivica is no longer with us. She is dead. She is sequestered, her body dumped in a secret elevator that nobody knows about except for security staff. They're also looking for Franklin, who manages the hotel. Franklin is also dead, but he is conveniently in the laundry room, crisped to death in the fourth dryer. Here we go. Do you smell that? Brian says. Yeah, somebody microwaved their dinner too long. Brian sniffs, disturbed. Tessa doesn't notice as she is describing the layout to Brian. We figured the business types and conference goers would be inspired being on the same floor as the real workers in the hotel, so we've got eight seriously lavish conference rooms behind us and to either side. For the huge deal CEOs, there's a high-ceiling lecture hall off the lobby. I'd show you the space, except catering's using it as a staging area for the party's lobby decor, so it's full of tables and extra seating and textiles and trays, and Justin promised he'd fillet anybody who went in there and screwed the supplies, so... Tessa's tone and the rate of her words are painstakingly casual, as are Brian's assent to them, his nods. But when Tessa stops chattering, he says, That smells... what? They pass the housekeeping storage area. Nothing, Brian says. Forgot to say, Brian used to be on the motocross circuit. He's a professional motorcycle racer and trick doer. Tessa walks into the break room. She frowns. Vivica? Brian's hands are out of his pockets. He frowns too and sniffs. Tessa walks to Dolores' office but sticks only her head in. She believes it's important to respect others' workspace. Viv, are you? Tessa snaps her fingers. She's in storage and passes Brian in the doorway. I bet she has her earbuds in, which is against... A forbearing smile is on Tessa's lips, ready to deliver a lecture about using personal cell phones and all other devices while on the clock. But the housekeeping storage area is empty. The alcove that houses the washers and dryers is not fully fully visible, so Tessa goes to check it, saying, Vivica, really, I need you up. But Vivica isn't there. In the secret elevator, Vivica's dead eyes stare at one of her smeared handprints. Hey, Tess? Brian is kneeling by a spatter of blood on the floor. It's the size of two postage stamps and the shape of Florida. Franklin, Tessa says to the blood. She takes a roll of toilet paper off the housekeeping shelves and holds down the outer corner with her thumb, winding a thick white wad. Who's Franklin? Brian kneels and stops Tessa from wiping up the tiny puddle. Hold on a second. Back up. Who's Franklin? The hotel manager, Tessa says, allowing Brian to continue holding her bandaged hand above the stain. Your boss? He wishes. Why? Brian appears to do difficult mental math, but he does it looking around the space. He looks at the blood stain. How do you know this is his? Tessa realizes what he's getting at. She smiles, amused, charmed. It's fake. The blood's fake. Franklin likes to play practical jokes. Yeah, Brian says, still holding her hand. Like, what kind of jokes? The sick kind. He promised to stop, but I think he kind of can't help it. 
Tessa laughs at Brian's plain worry. Okay, she says. Dipping a finger into the red, she raises it to her mouth. Brian catches her wrist. Tess, Christ, don't... It's fake. Franklin messes with Dolores all the time. She's his favorite target. Look at the soaps, the empty water bottle on the floor, the ladder right there. He was sticking the soaps together. He's done it before. And to give his prank a one-two punch, he squirts some fake blood on the floor. Brian brings her dripping fingertips to his nose. He smells it. Smell it, he says. Don't taste it. Smell it. Tessa does. Her lip curls in faint revulsion. Right. So? So they don't usually bother to make fake blood smell like real blood. Brian releases her hands, steals the toilet paper, and wipes her fingertip clean while Tessa says, Fine. One of two things happened. Either our head of security caught Franklin at it and intervened. Intervened, Brian echoes. And caught him how? I don't know. That's not my department. I'm design and logistics. She steals the toilet paper back and wipes the stain, though Brian protests. Franklin's right now having his ass handed to him. Hopefully getting fired, though that'll make the next few days a living hell for me, finding a replacement. What about the smell, Brian says. Standing when Tessa does, he watches her toss the bloody paper in the trash. Ha, she says. She reaches into the garbage can, most of her top half disappearing. She lifts out a big soap ball. That creep is fired. She drops it. And a duo of thuds suggests it bounces in the bottom of the can. Brian repeats, what about the smell? And you said one of two things happened. Someone cut themselves, Tessa says. Reorganizing the soaps and the housekeeping shelves, she spots the collapsed stack of dryer sheets and fixes those. Vivica, she came down for a snack, was checking on, I don't know, something. In this room, she cuts herself, overcooks her food. You're reaching, Brian says. What else would it be? The buzz of fluorescent lights fills a telling silence. Brian says, that's not food. It's meat, but it's not. He blows all his breath at the floor and forces himself to look up. On the circuit, when there was a crash and gas spilled and a guy got burned, big time burned, we're talking ass grass to the face. This is how it smelled. Tessa looks sick, but she stands up straighter. She turns and leaves the housekeeping storage area for the employee break room. She does so professionally, shoulders back, expression controlled, until she's no longer in front of Brian. Then her forehead crimps and she presses on her mouth. Tessa is an ambulant contradiction. She is at once strikingly strong and heart-rendingly vulnerable. The paradox makes a natural protector, desperate to protect her. The best security is invisible security. The most thorough safety is safety one's object of protection doesn't know about. She shakes her head at a dirty dish in the employee break room sink, rinses it, and sets it in the drying rack. This seems to focus her, and she rounds the long break room table to stand in front of the lockers. Employees are assigned a padlock. Tessa turns her combination. Brian bangs his forehead on the housekeeping storage area's wall once and goes to follow Tessa. He pauses at the table where the maids full sheets, runs his finger along the edge. His finger comes away flecked red. He looks around the room, his eyes landing on the dryers. Tessa pulls on her padlock, but it doesn't pop open. Franklin cut off all the padlocks with bolt cutters on orders from his phone contact at a quarter after five o'clock today. He then replaced the employees' padlocks, labeled with employees' names, with other padlocks. He then hid the bolt cutters in a conference room on the second floor. Tessa tries her combination again. Brian is opening the first dryer. He wears the grim resignation of a man who feels foolish and yet knows he is right. The dryer is empty but still warm. He touches the ridges inside and spins them. He scowls, shuts the door. 
and looks at the rest of the row. He moves to the second dryer. He looks markedly different, threatening, worlds apart from the golden retriever-like persona he's been using on Tessa this afternoon. His lips pucker and his eyebrows angle and he opens the second dryer. It's empty, cool. He checks a third, fast, empty. Brian inches sideways. He's shaking his head. His lips are moving in false, rapid-fire consolations that what he knows is inside isn't inside. He's reaching for the fourth dryer. So, uh, tattered cover format, Q&A, anybody have any questions? It's okay if you do. It's okay to ask. And it's okay if you don't. This is a safe space. Yes? So, what was the inspiration for this story? Did you have, like, where did the idea come from? Where did the idea come from? So, I'm a big horror movie fan. I love Halloween. Halloween's my favorite movie. And uh, I always wondered why Halloween didn't exist in book form. And I tried to write it, and it was awful. And I thought, well, that's why. And so I put it away. But I, I wanted to set it in a hotel, and I drew a map, actually, of this hotel. And I stuck it in my idea folder, and I forgot about it, and I left it alone. Um, years later, I was in grad school, and we read a book called uh, Jealousy by Alain Robbegrier, one of those French names It's really fun to say. And... Um, it's this really strange POV experiment with this guy who is a first-person narrator, but he never uses the pronoun I. It's crazy to read. I really recommend it. But the plot was kind of boring, and I thought, God, what if you married this to an amazing plot? And then I thought of my horror movie. And so I took that and kind of commingled them. So that was the inspiration. Yes? What kind of books do I like to read? Oh, Everything. Uh, I'm into Atul Gawande right now, reading a lot of nonfiction because I'm working on my second book for my publisher. Um, and I don't read fiction while I'm writing it because it kind of bends my voice a little bit. Uh, so Atul Gawande, I kind of have a crush on him right now, which is strange. I get literary crushes. My roommate can tell you. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, and I just read uh, <laughs> this hilarious teen novel called Survive the Night. Uh, the premise just attracted me immediately. It's it's these kids who are in the subway at a rave, and it turns out there's a monster with tentacles. I don't even know. I didn't know there was a monster with tentacles, but I read it. I read it straight through in a day, and I loved it. So I love that. I love Battle Royale by Kushin Takami, which is Hunger Games before the Hunger Games. Um, everything. I mean, name it. I like it. Yes, and so below. Yeah. No, I, I said that to my friend. And I said, what's with all these movies that are set in these creepy places where just something goes awry? She said, that's every horror movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> and, I, and I got specific. I was like, no, that one in Chernobyl. Have you seen that one in Chernobyl? Yeah. Worth it. Just for the fact that they actually did film it in Chernobyl. It's pretty wicked. Anybody else? My second book is, uh, I've been working on it for a very, very long time. It's about a young girl whose um, father kidnaps her. He is an ex-con. He kidnaps her to find $4 million that he believes she knows where it is. He believes her mother told her where it is. It's buried somewhere in California. So they go on a cross-country mission. She's from Minnesota. So it's, it's this really cool road trip novel. Very different from Security, which is like trapped in one place. Uh, place, you know, and that's why I wanted it to be my follow-up, because it's a wildly different challenge. 
It's a lot of fun. Anyone else? Yes. You know, Tessa, I actually did a, um, a really great blog called My Book, The Movie. They had me do a post just recently on that exact topic, and I got to cast this. So, yes, I made Brian um, either uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, good choice, or um, what's his name, Grant Gustin from The Flash. He plays Flash. He, he's great because... He can do good, so good, but he can do evil, so evil. And Brian, you're just never sure about him, you know? Um, Tessa, I would love to see Anna Kendrick do it. She's never done anything quite like this, but I think she'd slay it, no pun intended. And, uh, or Megan Fox, because I saw her very recently on The New Girl, and I thought she, again, pun intended, killed it. Um, so I think she could really bring something interesting, just that competence, you know, and that confidence. That's Tessa, all over the place. Thank you so much for coming tonight, guys. Really, it's an honor. It's my first one ever. That's all for tonight's Author on Tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.